How many of you like Christmas? Anybody here like Christmas? Okay. What do you like? What do you love about Christmas? Anybody just, just shout it out this morning. What do you love about Christmas? No school. No school. Okay. Uh, that's a teacher, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little concerned, Kevin. Okay. Anything else? I didn't hear. I heard no school so loud. I didn't hear anything else. Lights. Lights. Anything else? Family. Family. Food. Yeah, I, I just got back from... Anybody like to travel at Christmas? Uh, I spent the, between the Sunday before, Chris, uh, before Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, in that period of time, my wife and I drove 2,200 miles uh, visiting family on the East Coast. And I got back last Sunday. We drove from 4.30 a.m. in the morning, and we, got, we left at 4.30 a.m. We got home at 7 p.m. Uh, we stopped a lot. We ate breakfast in West Virginia... After driving from three hours from Virginia, we ate lunch in Kentucky, and then we ate dinner in Illinois. So uh, we had a culinary uh, challenge as we went along through life, and so we did. But we eat, eating isn't important. You know, a lot of us love lots of things, and so I thought this morning I would just bring one of my favorite foods with me. Uh, each week we're going to unwrap something, you know, something each time that's uh, important. And uh, y'all like dessert? This is real dessert. This is pecan pie, or pecan pie, according to how you say it, okay? You know, I don't know if I'm going to eat it this morning or not, because I thought about eating it right in front of you. And, uh, oh, there it goes, okay, you know, and we've got to put a little, little stuff on here. There we go, there we go, that's good. And I'm going to put this back in the box here for a while, okay? But the thing is, is that during this Christmas season, we're going to be talking about how do we unwrap Christmas. What are the things, what's Christmas all about? Um, what, what are the things that we love to do? And love is kind of an interesting word, because some, so often we're going to be talking about is, is something that sometimes we don't have a frame of reference to how to describe it. Uh, you ever had people, um, it, you've probably had this thing happen to you. You start, somebody offers you something to eat, it's like some kind of a meat or something, and you've never had it before. Like when I was in Virginia, we had a, we had a friend of ours who was a hunter, and he'd go out and hunt, and you never knew what he was going to eat at his house. We showed up one time, it was a bear. Um, another time it was uh, some kind of wild turkey. Another time it was, it was just all kind of crazy stuff. And every time, and then when I came to Illinois, somebody gave me this strange, bizarre thing uh, called uh, this thing on a bun. And it was like this big around. And it was real thin and it was breaded and it was crispy. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what it is. You know, it's tenderloin or something. I don't know exactly. It's some kind of pork thing. And uh, we didn't have those on the East Coast, by the way. And so anytime you have something like that and somebody asks you, what does it taste like? What's your response? Tastes like chicken, don't you? You always say it tastes like chicken. Everything, frog legs, tastes like chicken. You know, everybody, bear, really bear didn't taste like chicken. Um, We have this, the reason we say things like that is because we don't have the words to describe. It's not in our reference to describe uh, what it tastes like. And so we make up something that we, it's similar to it, but maybe not exactly. Uh, That's the deal. Now, we're going to be talking about uh, this whole thing of love. I just talked about, you know, I love pecan pie. Y'all want a piece? No, okay. Um, I just, just sliced it a minute ago. Okay. I got a fork and everything here. But um, we're going to be talking about love because love is a word that's so often we don't have the real words to describe it the way that the Bible describes it. Over the next four weeks, during the Christmas season, we're going to be looking at a letter, one of the letters that, that the gospel writer John wrote, and it's called First John. We're going to be looking at just a small portion of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And I began to try to look at this, this passage because it deals with 
uh, love. Uh, John is often called the, the, uh, the uh, writer of love, the, the person who writes more about love than anything else in all of Scripture. If you read his gospel, you see that. You see that in his writing in First, Second, and Third John. You see all these things called the prophet of, prophet of love. But the problem with talking about John and trying to teach John is that John is not a linear thinker. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul is a linear thinker. It means that Apostle Paul, when he starts something, he, he says, here's the point I'm going to make. He talks about it, and he quits. He goes to the next point. He talks about it, then he quits. And he goes, it's, it's a linear progression. John's not like that. I think John was kind of ADD. Uh, John was all over the place because he kept doing circular thinking. What he did is that he kept bringing back the same thing. So if you read 1 John, you find several locations in the first, the, the first letter of John, 1 John. You'll find several places, at least three places, where he talks about love. He keeps coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back. So we're going to do a circular. We're starting today with kind of an overview. And then I'm going to circle back and talk about some of these passages and some of these verses that we're talking about today in more detail over the next three weeks as we try to describe how to unwrap the greatest gift that was ever given to us, the gift of love. And so let's begin to, to uh, look at the passage. If you have your Bibles with you today, uh, actually on the, on the, in your outline it has got a couple of verses. I'm going to go further than that today, though. Uh, 1 John is kind of toward the end of the, end, end of the Bible. Uh, it's, it's far along. It's not too far from Revelation and maps, if you have that in your Bible. Um, so um, we're going to look at that today for a few moments. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. See, John is attempting to change. What John begins to do in 1 John is he attempts to change how we see things. He wants us to see love in a different way uh, that we've ever seen it before. Because love, he says, and and I believe it's true in Scripture, love is the clearest expression of who God is. And then he says the next verse, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He said, love is the best proof of God, of who he is. And then he says this in verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. And then he says this, because God is love. Because God is love. Now when we read that this morning, we have the danger of having this superficial view of love. You know, we might describe love like we describe eating something we don't know what it's about and describe it as chicken. And it's not that at all. Because the type of love that we experience in this world is so often is not the type of love that it's talking about here, the type of love that God is. It's not talking about this warm, gushy, feeling type of love, this or erotic type of love, or just kind of a familiar type of love. It's talking about a deeper type of love. And that's what he wants to flesh out here, because what he says to us here in a real sense, and he talks about this, and we'll talk about it more next week, is that when Jesus came at Christmas... He grew up to be a man. He was giving us, God was trying to explain to us something about his character, about his nature. He wanted to show us who he was, that he is love, that God is love. But he doesn't want us to think of it in terms of how we normally think about love, the superficial view of love. Then in verse 9, going a little further, he says, This is how God loved, uh, showed his love among us. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and his only son into the world that we might live through him. He tells us here that this, this, him sending his son into the world was this practical, tangible, uh, tangible, um, tangible expression of love. It's God's ultimate expression of love. By sending his son into the world, he wants us to understand who he really is. Then in verse 10 he says, This is love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I want to stop there for a minute. We'll come back to the scripture in a little while. So hold your, uh, hold your uh, finger there or, or bookmark that for a little while there. But I want to talk about this. He, what, God, what John begins to talk about is this. He says, how can we begin to see God? God is both, he says, is invisible, but he made himself visible through Jesus Christ. And he expressed to us and he showed as Jesus came that what love was really all about. So often in life, you know, uh, and he wanted to give us a gift. The gift of understanding how to really love the way that he loves. And to be able to, to love the way he loves. I, I was in a coffee shop over in Washington, the blend, a, a few weeks ago. And I, I go over there once in a while. I don't go anywhere near as much as Chris does, okay? Chris, Chris, that's Chris's second office, by the way. If you ever miss Chris here, you know, he's not here. Just call the blend. He'll be there. Uh, but the issue, I'm just giving him a hard time about it all the time. But the issue is, is this, is that when I was over there, I was sitting in a booth and I was studying. Well, at least I was trying to study. You know, I had my laptop up, I had all my, you know, the windows going on and different things going on, working on stuff, a couple books out there, working on uh, this, actually this sermon series. And uh, there was a conversation in the booth behind me. You ever had people, you know, do that and they're talking just totally loud, you can't even, you're trying not to listen, but you can't help? Well, there was these two young guys, I don't know, they're probably in their 20s, I guess they were in college and they were having this discussion, this really deep discussion. And uh, the discussion was about, about how people have expertise in one area but are incompetent in another. That's what they were talking about, how everybody was not balanced in life. Not everybody, usually people that were super smart in, say, one area tend, tend to be totally incompetent in another. And they, this one guy obviously was really into science and math, and he was talking about how important, you know, it's important for everybody to have this, you know, confidence in science and math. And his friend said to him, well, have you ever noticed that most people who are really, really, really intense in science and math tend to be totally incompetent in, social, in, in, in relationships. I thought these must be two real good friends that say that to each other. But, the, but for some reason, it just went right over the math and science guy's head. Uh, <laughs> what he was talking about, because, uh, because he looks at him and he says, well, you know, the reason math and science guys... Uh, you know, or like that is because uh, we focus on so, on the most complex issues in the world. Then the other guy, has, the other guy was sharp though. The other guy t- says to him, he says this to him. He says, "Well, is there anything more complex than interpersonal relationships?" And I thought, touche. <laughs> because the one area, you know, you can be you can be a mathematical genius. And never figure out as a guy why she's mad at you. I mean, you can have the genius of a Bill Gates and never understand how to keep, how you keep losing friendships. I mean, you can be that way. You can be genius in one area, and, but, but nothing, I believe, nothing is more complex and more important in our lives and essential to us as humans than connecting to each other. Would you agree with that? Because everything else in life could be together, but if our relationships are in disarray, the problem is, is that we feel like our whole life is in disarray. And so what Jesus is saying to what John is saying to us here about love is this. God wants to come and show us and give us a gift. He wants to express to us what real love is like. First of all, helping us to understand that God is love. And then we're to live that out in a real sense in our lives as well. He wants to give us the gift 
the gift of love, the gift that we so often don't understand, the gift that really makes us fully alive. And John is saying if you want to be fully alive, then love becomes the driving force of your life. It fuels your actions. It is the motivation for everything. It becomes the central virtue and value of your existence. Because Jesus coming into the world at Christmas was to prove God's unconditional love for you and for me and to give us what we need to live a life of love. So let me ask this morning, does your life, do you define as, uh, let me ask this, does love define your life? Is that the, the, the overarching virtue of your life? And what does that mean when you think of the word love? John goes on in verse 13 to say this. He said, this is how we know that we live in him, that we live in love, and that he is in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And then in verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And then John repeats the same three-word phrase that's probably the greatest phrase ever, ever repeated, ever spoken upon this earth. He repeats the same phrase he just repeated or, or just said earlier. He says this, God is love. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And then he makes this interesting statement. We're going back and, and over the next, if you, you're going like, man, you're going through this fast today. I just want to give you an overview today, okay? In the next three weeks, we're going to flesh this out, these verses out a lot more about where, what it means. But in verse 17, it says this, he makes this statement. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Is that how the world focuses on things? No, you know, we know, we know, all of us know this. We know that the best way to control people is through what? Guilt and fear uh, and shame. You know, the best way to get people to line up and be moral, we believe, is to create a balance between reward and punishment. We believe that we, if we establish laws and rules that people will stay in line uh, because if we punish the bad behavior, reward the good behavior, that's going to keep everybody going on the right path, right? At least that's the way we operate in this world. And, and, and in a real sense, so often we think that religion uh, would not even be able to operate without guilt and shame. I mean, how can you possibly motivate people without it? How can you get people to love God without, without uh, impressing upon them the concept of heaven and hell? which says something about a reward and punishment. Without, what, without that, what do you have? It's kind of like this. I mean, it works this way in our world. You know, we have speed limits, right? And all of us believe in speed limits. The reason we follow speed limits is because when we go, when it says 55 on that sign, and we go 55, we feel morally right. Right? Don't you feel righteous when you've gone exactly? Maybe if you want to be really holy, you go 54. Or 53. I mean, we all do that, right? You don't do that? I mean, that's the whole thing of reward and punishment because you know that if you go too fast, we, you know, really all of us in some sense are, are, are really dealing with cost and benefit. We're dealing with, we're all mathematicians. We're dealing with probability. That's what we're doing. What we're doing is that when we go out and drive on the road, no, we don't follow it. We think that 55 is just, is just a recommendation. Right? 
that's how we live life. You know, it's a rule, but it's a recommendation. And so we go out and we're going like, if I go 60, you know, uh, probably the probability is, is I probably won't get a ticket unless it's a really bad day for the policeman that day. If I go 64, and we've always heard this rule, you know, the, the policemen really don't pay much attention to 10 miles of other speed. Ever heard that before? I want to tell you, the fact, that's not the truth. <laughs> not the truth. I've experienced it. Uh, a long time ago, in my bad days. No, uh, you know, we, we believe that, and so we, 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 we think that if, because, of, because you know, we co- the cost-benefit is, if, if we go over that, we'll get a ticket. We have to pay this much money. But the benefit of getting there quicker is, it over, overrides the, the, the risk that we take, for those of you who are risk-takers. For those of you who are not risk-takers, you go 55. But the issue in life is, we, you know, rules and regulations don't always keep us in bounds, do they? They don't make us right. We... Break it. I mean, I cannot, I don't know if it's, if there's anybody here that can say they've never broken the speed limit ever in their whole life. I want to talk to you. I want to place you right up there with Mother Teresa. Because we, it doesn't always make the diff, the thing is this, is that we think that if we, you know, if we were really serious about this, about the reward and punishment, if we were really serious about, you know, speed limits, we would make the punishment for breaking it greater. Instead of a ticket, you go one mile over, you lose a leg. How many of you one-legged people would we have here today? But it doesn't operate that way. We don't believe, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of is a, rec- I don't know if it's a recommendation, but anyway, what we think, and that is what we think about religion sometimes. We, we think it's a way to moderate human behavior because, uh, you know, if, if you're rewarded, if you do this and you get to, be with God in heaven. We think that for some strange reason. And we think if you don't, you know, you go to the bad place called hell. We go through this, we think of reward and punishment. But that's not what John is saying here. John is saying to us, he's saying that that is not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way God is. In fact, he throws down the gauntlet. And what he does, he says that God so believes in the power of love that he wants to take fear off of the table is a way to motivate us to live our lives. And then so he says in the next part of that verse, after he says uh, there is no fear in love, then he says this, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. The reason we don't live this way is because we don't have confidence in the power of love to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. But I want to tell you something. According to Scripture, God does have confidence in the power of love, in the power of the right kind of love. And God wants us to live without fear. He wants us because He wants us to live our lives as if we were entirely free with the knowledge that you are loved without condition and allow love to be the guide that guides our life, the type of love that God has for us, we're to have for, uh, for others. And some of us will say that's impossible. You know, if we don't have this kind of you know, rules and regulations, anarchy will, uh, will be uh, rampant in the world. What would happen in the world without guilt and shame and rules? Well, I'd say probably would look pretty much like it does now. Because it doesn't stop people from breaking the rules. I mean, do we, we still have police officers. We still have, I mean, we still have all the chaos in the world. The difference would be this. If we lived in a world that was fueled by love, the type of love that God has for us, then we would, it would be drastically different. That would be the difference. 
So God has, see, God has so much confidence in the transforming power of love that he says to us, I don't want you to ever live by fear again. That's what he's saying in these verses. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. I was reading an interesting book, or actually I was reading an article about a book. You know, that's the that's short way of reading a book. I was reading an article about a book. Uh, it's, it was about marriage. I was doing some study a while back for uh, a Married Life Live, and I read an article from this author named Stephanie Kuntz. And Stephanie Kuntz wrote a, a book called Marriage, a History. It was kind of a history of, the mar- of marriage in the world since the beginning of time. And she kind of had uh, an interesting concept. Now, I don't necessarily agree with all her conclusions, but it was interesting. You know, you ever read books that are just interesting? You don't have to agree with them. They're just interesting because they challenge your thinking. Well, her basic premise was this. She said that now that people are marrying for love, and she said that wasn't always true, now that people are marrying for love, it has destroyed the institution of marriage. That was her premise. She was saying that marriage was a lot more stable when love had nothing to do with it. Maybe Tina Turner was right. If you know the song. Okay. You see, what she said is this. In the history of marriage, if you look back at the history of marriage, the reason people were married throughout history most of the time was to have in-laws. You're going like, that's the one thing in marriage I don't want to have is in-laws. But no, it says that no, it, to, to form alliances uh, between families and countries, and, and it gave security and, and safety. And it was really about, and that's why they have so many arranged marriages. It was people to, to work the farm, people to, to help with all the chores. That was one of the reasons for marriage and, and forming families. And marriage was essentially an economic transaction in much of history. And you look back, and that was true in much of history. And in many places in the world, it still is that way. But she said this, she said around the 1800s, for the first time, love became a significant influencer in why people got married. And she said this was a fairly new concept. See, she said the problem, of course, is that it's, that it's not very stabilized, and because if you get married for love, the moment you don't feel love anymore, the more likely you'll feel that you won't want to be married anymore. And because of this, she said, when love became the primary reason for marriage, it became doomed to failure. That was her conclusion. What an encouraging book. But then she did say one good thing. She said one th- hopeful thing. She said that because of that, today, marriages are more fulfilling and enriching than ever before, but they're also more fragile because the expectations are so high. But as I looked at that, I began to think about the Scripture, and I thought, and she's missing one, one important element that if love wasn't part of marriage up till the 1800s, what do you deal with what the Apostle Paul said when he says this, to the, he says this in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. How do you deal with that issue? That if love wasn't supposed to be a part of that, it's called messing up marriages. It's, see, it shows us the importance of the truth that God is bringing to us here. It's, it's, John is just echoing the words of Jesus when, when he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, love is, is, is of the essence, one of the, pr- the primary thing that God wants to teach us about. And then, so during this Christmas season, we're going to unwrap this gift of love that God has for us. This gift of unconditional love that he has for us that so often we don't have the words to express. He says the truth is around the world, this type of love, unconditional love, is a very rare commodity. And we love people generally who love us. 
who value us. We hold our love conditionally. We love people if they live up to our standards and our expectations and withhold that love if they don't. And love becomes a commodity that we make people work for. That's how the world operates. At least that's how I perceive the world to operate. But Jesus said everybody loves like that. And so he says to us, everybody loves who loves them. Don't love like that. People who do that are empty and hollow. And so when he gave the great commandment, he said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love them unconditionally the way that God loves you. Because he said, if that happens, guess what? That'll give real meaning and purpose to your life. It's been interesting the last few months, the last couple of months, two or three months at Great Oaks. Uh, as we have focused our attention outward, as people have begun to focus on serving others and giving others, and Chris, I heard a little, you know, I heard a little bit of the blurb what he was talk, talking about. There's all kinds of stories we've heard about people you know, helping others, giving to others, doing for others, unconditionally. There's kind of like this, man, you know, it's get our eyes off ourselves, And all of a sudden, there's this like, there's new enthusiasm. Because it's the way that God has always wanted us to live. And that's what he said. This is so important for us to understand. That's why John in 1 John chapter 4 talks about love. And he talks about chapter 2 and chapter 3. He talks about this love. Because Jesus wants us to transform our understanding of human relationships. That's the gift he gives to us. He wants us to unwrap love without condition. You know, it was interesting back a few months ago, I mentioned to some of you guys a book that I was reading, same kind of different as me. And, you know, I, I began to understand why that book was so, so impactful on so many people's life. You know why? Because of one person in that book, her name was Debbie. Debbie in that book lived life unconditionally with love. It wasn't because she was getting something back from somebody else. And for some reason, that became revolutionary in some of our eyes as we examined it. Because all of a sudden, we could see tangibly, tangibly, what unconditional love looked like. Where we described it as chicken before, now we had a very tangible way of saying, this is, this is the way it is. And so God is trying to do that for us. He's saying, you know, this is something we need to understand. And maybe, you know, you're here today. And religion has been about fear and guilt and judgment. And something in your soul said to you that there's something wrong with that. And let me tell you, you're exactly right. There is something wrong with that. Because God wants you to know that he is the agent and the source of love. Because the last verse I want to look at out of John 4 today says this. John 4, 1 John 4, verse 19 says, We love because what? He first loved us. We love because he first loved us loved us you see we may think that our love is limited that it's a commodity that if we we can only delve it out a little bit but we know that's not true in a real sense let me give you an example that love as we love more it expands when we give it away freely i remember getting married 31 years ago you know, and, I, and, and some of you, you know, whenever it was, you got married. If you're not married, you know, you'll study someday. You know, and I told my wife, I love you with all of my heart. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Isn't that romantic and warm and gushy? What does that mean? Does that mean I love her with 100% of everything I have? Kind of, in, in a sense, I do. So what does that mean is that when, and then all of a sudden, a, a few years later, this little critter comes along, my daughter. And you know, little babies, I begin to think about this. Babies are kind of like 
they're like they're like users. Babies are users. They give you, you know, you say, oh, they go so. No, babies, all they do is demand. They just demand, demand, demand. You know, they cry. They don't talk to you. You know, and they're always, and so they're users. But for some reason, all of a sudden, I had this new, this new little girl in my life. And all of a sudden, this 100%, I give you all my heart. What did I do? Did I, did I say, all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to give, okay, I'm going to give Kara 49%. I'll give 50, 51 because she's my wife. Is that the way you divide up love? No. No, I love Vicky as much as I can, and I love my love expanded. And then Keith came along, and, I, and you know, I, I didn't divide it up and everybody get 33 and a third percent of my love. No, then it becomes, it expands. The more you love, the more you give love away, the more it expands, and, and the more love you see. I love this phrase I read somewhere. It says, when we live to love, then we love to love. When we live to love, then we love to love. The kind of love that God talks about here. John 15, 13 says this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is what Jesus Christ did. That is what God was showing to us as he sent his son into the world during the Christmas season, we celebrate it that way. But as he grew up to be a man, as he grew up to die upon a cross, as he grew up to show to us what unconditional love is, it's not because we deserved it, but because he chose to do it. And maybe all you've ever experienced in your life is conditional love. Maybe that's all you've ever experienced, is conditional love. And maybe that is all you can give because that's all you know. Because, but sometimes it drives me crazy because for some reason in the Christian world, we believe sometimes it's our belief system that makes us different. Or we believe that it's our doctrine that makes us unique or this information we have about God that makes us alive. But if we know everything, the Bible says, if we know everything about everything but don't have love, guess what it says? You're dead. You're not alive. You're not fully alive. God wants us to be fully alive. He wants us to experience the wonder of God's unconditional love. And then he wants us to give it away because they're intrinsically linked together. Because when you've experienced the love of God and are giving it away, guess what? That's fully living. And that's the greatest gift anybody could ever give you. And that's what God has already offered to you. But you have to accept it. We're going to flesh out over the next three weeks more of what this means. We're going to do circular thinking. We're going to go back and circle the wagons again and go back to this and look at different parts of it and talk about what it means to be, have no fear and love, what it means and why it's so important next week that God came and showed himself for who he was through his son, Jesus Christ. And then we're going to talk about how God loves through us the Sunday after Christmas. As we gather together in one service that Sunday, you know, that day after Christmas, we're going to talk about how God can love through us. And as we're launching to the new year, we're going to talk about how to be emotionally healthy people who love in real ways. I'm excited about what God's doing already, but I'm more excited about what God's going to do in our lives as we accept God's love unconditionally and love people in an unconditional way. That's the gift that God gives us at Christmas.
Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.